<laughs> Should we start? Action! Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. This is the fourth episode of the fourth season, so we watched the fourth film by Quentin Tarantino, Kill Bill, Volume 1, Unt 2. Does that mean we've now cubed ourselves? Four, yes. Four fours. We've cubed All the fours. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> the bride, played by Uma Thurman, is wronged by Bill and her ex-colleagues, the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. They shoot her, beat her, leave her for dead. Four years later, she wakes up and she wants her revenge. Four years. Four again. Oh, yeah. Four years. Cool. Do you think he planned that? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it was like a little nod to this more fourth film. So here's four years later. Maybe. He took a six year break between Jackie Brown and this. Yeah. What was going on? Because there was this whole thing about how he would, he kind of basically lived with Uma Thurman and her daughter while he was writing Kill Bill. Really? Yeah. I don't, and I don't know why, but um, that's a thing that happened. Was she still married to Ethan Hawke at the time? Oh, I don't know. I think maybe they were. And when we say they lived together, you know, it's, it wouldn't have been in a tiny New York flat. It would have been in this enormous house somewhere. They probably didn't even see each other that often. <laughs> I don't think it was that big. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Q, Q. Hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, you. Hey, hey, you. Beautiful, beautiful. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> My to the baby driving me crazy. Is that the right one? Yeah. Is that the steps? The steps. That is the steps. Had you seen this before? This is my most watched Tarantino film. By, by far. By Same. a long, long way. Yeah. yeah. It's just his most fun and fast paced. It doesn't mess around. It's straight off the bat. Just goes, goes straight for the jugular and kind of doesn't look back. It's just, it's such a, a great part of his cv isn't it it's oh just it's like, definitely his coolest film yeah it's just saturated in cool yes yeah did you see it in the cinema when it first came out i did that's so i think i was at uni because it was 2003 2003 end of 2003 it came out yeah so i was in my second year of uni i'd got my little uni friends and we had like a big outing to the cinema to watch kill bill volume one oh, wow. and we all just came out of it buzzing and just like tarantino is the best kind of thing i didn't give a shit about Quentin tarantino at university uh-huh couldn't care less. Were you studying I, film? Yeah. And oh. that's where people on the course would be like, you haven't seen Pulp Fiction. Oh. You haven't seen this. You haven't seen that. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, I don't have to see all of them. Um, I've seen all the Kubrick films. So, yeah, I had, I had them on the DVD. Mm. I did not see it in the cinema. Okay. I didn't see it until maybe a year or two later once it had come out on DVD after volume two had come out as well. Because mm. I remember watching them back to back. I borrowed the DVDs from an old housemate, and I still have them. Um, <laughs> Typical <whoops>. Rob move. <laughs> well, you know, 15 years later, they're mine. What have you still got of mine that you still haven't brought back? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably The Colour Purple I've still got of yours. Oh, great. Um, I, I, re I really love this film. I, I really, I really love it. Are we it. talking volume one or volume two or both? I just see it as, as, as one long film. I don't, I don't see it as... Because... One doesn't work without the other. 
You can't watch two without having watched one. And one isn't complete until you go and watch two. Yeah, I agree. I just, I have mixed feelings about volume two. Well, let's start on volume one. Okay. Let's start on volume, volume one first. Yeah. So that came out at the end of 2003. As I said, six year hiatus. And Bang Bang mm-hmm. by Nancy Sinatra is making the returns of the podcast. When was it on before? Well, Dalida did a French cover version that <gasps> Xavier Dolan used in Heartbeats. Yes, I just, yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, right, Heartbeats, of course yes. it is. Yeah, exactly. Yes, indeed. And it was used brilliantly in that because it was about being shot down by the person who you love. Like, it was about, it was about well, them Yeah, friends, that's a deeper it? meaning to what well, yeah. QT is doing. Yeah. She was literally <laughs> shot me down. Bang, her bang. baby did shoot her down. Not, well, not, well, her not the baby. baby. Bill. Her babe. Baby Bill. Yeah. That's such a great opening, isn't it? It's so shocking. You just see this mashed up face and you, you know that Uma Thurman is going to be the star of this film. Yeah. And then boom. But you know that from the poster. Yeah. And then you just suddenly see her completely beaten to shit. And at first you don't know who it is. You're like, well, who is that? And then you realize it's meant to be, it is Uma Thurman. Is that immediately to elicit sympathy in the bride? I don't know, actually. Like, it just puts you right... Like, whereas in previous Tarantino films, actually films that follow, he would have maybe built up that scene before that shocking thing happens. Yeah. This just throws you straight in the deep end and just says, this is the thing, this is the reason this story exists, yes. is this exact moment right here um, that she is... She's been left for dead, mm-hmm. essentially. And... And also it's great because it introduces Bill in a really insidious way where he's mopping up her face with his handkerchief that's inscribed Mm -hmm. with Bill. And so you immediately like, aha, Bill. Okay, so Bill is the guy who's doing this. But he's not on screen. It's his hand, it's his foot, the gun. But we don't actually see Bill until volume two. No, you don't. He's completely kept in the shadows. Yeah. Which I think was such a smart move. Especially for a film called Kill Bill. Yes. It builds him up. And especially for a filmmaker him. like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, he doesn't indulge it until volume two. And it, it, it just creates this whole myth, this legend kind of feeling around who Bill is. And he's so important and yet you never see him. He becomes almost like a, this like religious figure. That... Well, they're, they're all a bit like that. We, we learn almost nothing about their, their, their history, their backstory. Yeah. Oren Ishii, we see her backstory in, in anime. Yeah. We see that she was, um, you know, her parents were brutally murdered in front of her. She became an assassin aged 11. By 20, she was the top assassin in the world or something. And now she sits at the top of the, 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 the mafia. We don't see much of anyone else's backstory. That's, that's, that's what I was thinking, actually, towards the middle-ish of volume two. I was thinking, so would we actually be with the bride kind of morally and emotionally if we had seen all the horrific things that she had done while she was employed by Bill? That's, that was one of my questions as well. Why, why should, I mean, the, I think the reason that we might potentially have sympathy for the bride is because they don't show us mm. all the shit she's done before. But Quentin Tarantino, he, he paints everyone else out to be the villain. Mm. he does but he he does he does muddy that as well right from the start when the bride uh, goes after Vanita Green Copperhead played by Vivica Fox and 
it's in this really lovely suburban house. Yeah. The daughter walks in and it does start, it makes you go, it, obviously it's foreshadowing to the, the cliffhanger ending, which is, does she know that her child is alive? Yeah. Um, so it's got that mirror image between the bride and uh, Vanita. But also it's just, so now she has a kid. Does that mean that she isn't a bad guy anymore? And the bride even just explicitly says it and is like, just because you got knocked up in the past four years doesn't mean <laughs> I'm going to go easy on you. Yeah. Yeah. So with the bride, it really would have challenged the audience hugely if you had been shown all of the people that she'd killed. Like, we don't know if she was only killing gangland people. She's still killing. She's still killing, yeah. I mean, it, it, even if she's killing bad guys, it still makes her a killer. Yes, it does. And the, the deadliest killer in... in I mean, yeah. Um, Ellie in part two says, when she, you know, when Bud's dying on the floor because the snake has bitten him, she says the black mumba is the deadliest... Um, predator in all of the animal kingdom mm. she's clearly talking about uma thurman yeah and they're all named after snakes right they're all uh yeah it's copperhead yeah. snake cotton mouth, cotton mouth. Okay. yeah sidewinder i think they're all snakes so there's like varying degrees of how deadly they are bill is the snake charmer so yes. he's got his army of snakes essentially he'll slither in and kill you while you sleep um and it just so happens that now there's the black mumba's going to come get you. Was the bride selfish? She is. She's, she's just completely focused on revenge. She's, she's doing it entirely for herself, isn't she? Until she discovers that she has a daughter. And then that's when she's weakened. You know, she suddenly is like, oh God. And she has a reason to do, to kill Bill that is different to the reason that she had originally. But she still kills him. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that it's called Kill Bill. Yeah. You know, from the get-go, Bill's going to die. It's mm -hmm. called Kill Bill. But is it selfish to turn up at the house, to see Bill, to see the daughter, realise that the daughter is not dead? Mm. Shouldn't a little part of her have thought, hang on, the daughter's been living with Bill for the past four years. There's going to be a, an emotional connection there. I can't just kill Bill. Yeah. It does, it does really throw up that question of this daughter has been, this girl has been raised by Bill. He is her father. Yeah. Um, and to, there's an emotional bond there. Yeah. To remove that completely is going to have a huge effect on this kid. Mm. I mean, we are assuming that he did raise her. We don't, we only. Well, he calls her, she calls him daddy. Yeah. But how, how much has he been around? We don't know any of that for they sure. Say, they say, for what, I mean, from that scene, we can see they have a really great relationship yeah yeah so but the bride doesn't 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 pause at all she just is like this is my mission i have to kill him we can't exist together so i think it's they I think betrayed it's really... each other it's like the betrayal doesn't cancel any of it out yeah they just can't exist together with both of them alive well now they have a child they have to well they should have worked a way to mm. to coexist yeah because now that child is going to go through the trauma she she said that she wanted the child to be born into a world with a clean slate and yet she perpetuates the bloodshed and all the danger by killing bill yeah yeah it's not it's not a, a clean happy ending at all no that kid might grow up to absolutely hate um what's her real name <laughs> on the surface it's happy but we know that it's not necessarily the end of the story Especially because as 
um, says at the beginning of the film to the little girl who's the daughter of Vernita, she's like, in 15, 20 years, yeah. you're going to come and want to get me. So potentially within this mythology, those two daughters again end up scrapping at some point down the line. I would love for that to be a TV show, a TV yeah. series. Like the La Femme Nikita TV series, which was all about spies and um, shadowy organizations and mm, that kind of thing. Not, I could see I that. I did not see it. But I don't need to kill Bill Volume 3. I know that Tarantino's talked about it here and there, and he says that he's got ideas and stuff. Well, if he's only doing 10 films, then it'll have to be the next one. Mm. And I don't want that. But and also, I just... It's called Kill Bill. Bill is now dead. So yes. make a different film that can be set within this world, absolutely. But it doesn't need to be Kill Bill Volume 3. But that's why a TV show would be perfect. It wouldn't be compared to this at all. Yeah, just call it Deadly Vipers or something like that. Oh, yeah, Assassination Squad. Is this a feminist film? Um, what's the definition of a feminist? Like a, an independent woman who doesn't rely on men or believes in self-empowerment, I guess? Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I guess in that sense it is. Because all the women... Even though, well, I don't know, because Elle Driver, when she goes in to kill the bride in the hospital in that super amazing nurse's outfit, <laughs> which, by the way, is hilarious. She's going undercover as a nurse and she becomes the most distinct looking nurse you've yeah, ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm going to do it with style. Um, she's a big lass, isn't she? She's, she's tall, Daryl Hannah. Oh, my God. Daryl Hannah, you forget that it's the girl from Splash. And Blade Runner. Yeah, this like, hap- well, yeah, Blade Runner was... And Wall Street. Unfortunately. Oh, yeah. She but was she, the designer. But she, I mean, Blade Runner is slightly different, but she was kind of known as the hippy-dippy girl who's very much love, peace and love. And that's yeah. kind of how she is in the Sense8 TV show as well. Oh, she in that? Is nature and love the world. And she's she disappears into this role. Yeah. She is gone. She is I've so never good. seen her better. Oh, God. Because I don't think she's that good in that. I mean, her early roles are terrible. She's oh, like, terrible in Blade Runner. She's terrible. She's fucking awful in Wall Street. What about Grumpy Old Men? I haven't seen Grumpy Old Men. Oh. Is that with uh, Jack Lemmon and um, Walter Matthau? Yeah. Classic. Yawn. But she's <laughs> awful in Wall Street. Completely miscast. And that was one of her early roles. So she's really fucking developed. She was phenomenal in Kill Bill. So, so good in this. And her... I mean, you can call it a demise because it kind of is a demise. When her second, her only existing eye is plucked yeah. out. My God, it's that scene makes me actually feel a bit sick. Because she stands on it and oh. it goes between her toes. I mean, that. That's like standing on warm shit. That's the cherry on top. But the fact or that. Or underneath. Yeah. But the fact that she's now had both eyes plucked out just makes me feel really unwell. <laughs> <laughs> she deserved it, both of them. Yeah. An eye for an eye. But oh my God, just horrific. But anyway, so going back to the. Are they feminine? Is it a feminist yes. film? I would say yes in a lot of ways, but also they're still answerable to Bill. Mm. L Driver goes in to kill the bride while she's asleep and she gets a phone call from Bill telling her not to do it because mm-hmm. he's not going to essentially... He's uses she a, deserves better from us. Yeah, yeah. Like, like not going to stab her in the back yeah. kind of thing. Or the face. Um, and that's hilarious when she screams down the phone at him like, fuck! <laughs> you don't know her shit! Um, Why does she hate the bride so much? Because of Pai Mei, because she, the bride was the, the the gold star student of of Pai of Mei, the uh, the trainer guy, and she's the one who. So you you don't know, but obviously she was trained after the bride because yes. she's the one who killed. She him. kills Padme, yeah. 
Padme. Is it Padme? Padme. Isn't it Padme? <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of. No, I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Star Wars. Yeah, don't think of Star Wars. Not that one. Anyway. Not the prequels. No. Yeah. So you, you imagine that maybe Pai Mei was telling El Driver about how amazing his prodigi- prodigious student, you know, the Black Mamba was. Yeah. And how she was nothing compared to her. Oh, I've never... Um, see, I've always thought that she was jealous that Bill loved the bride more than anyone. Like, she, was his, yeah. she was his prized possession. And I say possession in, in the, the literal sense. Mm. I think Bill feels he owns owes all of them, owns them rather. Um, he's like a cult leader. They're oh, gotcha. all so unbelievably loyal to him. Yeah. And you don't really know why. No, well, that's a cult, isn't it? They're brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you He's assume... very charismatic. He, he obviously pays extremely well. Very charismatic. <laughs> Superman. That Clark Kent's uniform. We, I apologise on Rob's behalf if you have a speech impediment. <laughs> That's not a speech impediment. It's just a slightly enlarged tongue. <laughs> um, I'd like to think, it, on the surface, it is a feminist film because it is about a woman taking, taking uh, ownership of her own destiny and her own shitty situation yes. and trying to do something about it. And, and by doing the wrong thing, a.k.a. killing people, she's also kind of doing the right thing by getting rid of these awful people who have caused so much harm and grief in the world. So it's very tangled, I would say. Does she view herself as a victim, the bride? Mm, I don't think she does. I think she is outraged that this happened to her. She's She goes on a roaring rampage of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's the roaring. The critics called it. Yeah. She's roaring. She's not whimpering like, oh, poor me. She's coming out there like, I'm going to kill you for this. Yeah. Um, she's, she's had, her pride is damaged and she is going to do everything she can to reclaim that, what she lost in that chapel. A hundred percent. I don't see, I, I don't see a, a shred of pity. No. In, in her. The only time she shows any pity is when the crazy 88, the la- one of the last ones, turns out to be a 16-year-old oh, boy. Yeah, a boy. That, now, this is the thing that I'm, I would have loved for this to have been more prevalent. When she wakes up and she realises that the baby's gone and she's holding her stomach and she, she cries and Uma Thurman smashes it in that, oh, that scene. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. That entire scene is great. But for the rest of the film, we don't see that pain. Mm-hmm. We don't see that pain. Even when she shows up at... Um, Hattori Hanso. No. Oh. Um, when she shows up at Vivica Fox's house, she doesn't react in any emotional way to the fact that she has a child. In fact, she says it's not going to stop her. Yeah. Then she does that thing in Tokyo, which she had actually done before, before in, the, in the chronology, but we see it afterwards. But we don't see the depth. There's not... There is no depth in this film. It's all shiny surface. Yeah. Well, there's there's a certain sense of spirituality to it and rever- reverence towards Eastern culture. So yeah. it's got that, like especially with the katana that um, Atari Hanso makes. It's all very... Um, well, it's serene and calm and, yeah. and meditative, but that doesn't equal depth. I'm talking no. about characterization. Yeah. If, if she's just been through a four-year coma, having been left for dead, and then realised that she's actually been 
systematically raped constantly by Buck, who loves to fuck, yeah. then where's the depth? Anger isn't enough. You don't just... You don't just experience anger. Anger is a result of your pain and your sadness. I think that this first film is 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 like a romp. It's a it, it's like a quest movie mm. without any real emotional development. But I think that you can do that with this because the second volume does give you the emotional stuff. Only just, yeah. Only just. It is. If if I had to, if I had to. Um, if I had to attribute one word per film, fight, talk. Mm. Volume one is all about fighting. Number two is all about talk. Yeah. And it's it's very telling that Infinity War and then Endgame have followed exactly the same format. Yeah. Infinity War is all about the fighting. And then Endgame is all about talking about the trauma caused by the fighting in the first film. Yeah. But I think that's the way that store the the landscape of a story yeah. kind of falls. Yeah. Is that you can have the big, flashy, amazing, exciting stuff, but you then have to balance that out with a little bit with of downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what volume two does completely. To its detriment, I would say. Why? You've often said this to me. Yeah. You hate them. you hate volume two. I'm not a fan of volume two because I think volume one is Tarantino's serving the material and the genre that he's working in. Genre realness. Yeah, giving you genre realness. <laughs> I think volume one is really exciting because it's a, a manga appreciation exercise mm-hmm. where it's all about big colors, big set pieces, fun, fun, fun. Um, and then volume two is almost like a Western. It gets really dusty. It gets quiet and it gets a lot less interesting because it's well partly the problem is Michael Madsen. It drags so much. The unnecessary scenes that don't develop. This is this is the bride's story. Mm-hmm. And volume two gives us that entire sequence that's so indulgent in the bar where Bud works. Yeah. And I know that what well, from what I glean from that sequence is we're supposed to think Bud can't look after himself. He's useless. And so then when he turns the tables and shoots the bride, it's yeah. a big like, whoa, oh, fuck. He's now, oh, my God, what's going to happen? You didn't need that entire bar sequence to actually achieve that. And it's so indulgent. And there's that really, really irritating boss who just goes on and on. <laughs> but and that's, it's, that's, it's a, such... that's, a, that's a Quentin Tarantino thing, isn't I agree, it? Sometimes yeah. he just can't no. help himself, as we will see in the next episode. Yeah. He just can't help himself. He likes the sound of his own voice and all his characters sound like him. Yeah. I just think that volume one is Tarantino um, utilizing the best of his skills to the best possible ends. Whereas volume two is Tarantino back in the safe zone, just overindulging himself. Um, but I just feel if volume two was more of the same, fight him, fight him, fight him, it wouldn't go anywhere and it would be... Un, it would be incredibly boring. I really it's like, boring already. <laughs> but I like the quietness, and I don't. I I just I actually don't have a problem with seeing some of Bud's backstory because mm. I feel he is the character who is hit hardest by the the disbandment of the Viper Squad. We're never given a reason why it's disbanded. Well, apart from, I guess Bill was broken by what he did to the bride, but they could still go out as a Viper mm. Squad. Mm. It's just funny, isn't it? That's a weird little thing where 
the bride wanted out. Therefore, she got out, faked her death. Yeah. Met a new guy who was going to get married, blah, blah, blah. Within three months. Um, but actually, if... Yeah, that's, that doesn't make sense. But <laughs> if, um, if one of the other characters had decided to do that, none of this would have happened with the bride, presumably. And she would have been able to retire anyway. Yeah, but she didn't know that. No. She didn't know that. But Bud's the one who's hit hardest. Yes. He isn't the the top of a, 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 a mafia uh, crime ring. Yeah. He's not still working for his brother. He, there's clearly some tension there. Mm. He's clearly loyal to Bill. But it's like he says that we deserve to die for what we did. And yeah. she deserves to die for what she did. So mm. he's clearly got one foot in both camps there. Yeah, he's conflicted. I I love Michael Madsen, but in this, his delivery is so slow. It's so slow. It's infuriating. Like when he's talking to her, when he's drugged her and she's lying on the floor and he's going to, he's going to do something to her. Like he, he thinks she, she might bite him or something. Oh, the, the um, mace. Yeah, he's yeah. Got I've got mace, this fucking like, Burn it in your eyes. That monologue is probably about five lines long and it takes him <laughs> 10 minutes to say it. It's like, just just fucking do it. It's like Sergio Leone. He, all his cowboy mm. films are like that. I just think Middle that... dialogue spread over yeah. the longest time. It's just so painful. And I don't think that... You're right. Volume 2 couldn't have repeated the same tricks as yeah. Volume 1. It just wouldn't have worked. It would have, It would have drawn too many comparisons... That wouldn't have actually been a good thing. No, it would not have been beneficial. So changing the the feel of it and the genre f- to it as well, that's a great idea. Yeah. But there's so many f- super superfluous scenes, like the whole chapel scene, is just so unnecessary. No, I I I really enjoyed the chapel scene. The one that I feel I could have done without was the tag on at the end with um, Michael Parks playing mm. the Spanish guy. That added. Nothing. No. It added nothing. She, All she finds she out could, is where Billy's, but she could have found that any, she could, any mean, other we way. We didn't even need to know that. We, I think we, we, we're we with that character. We would just, if she'd just shown up at the house, we were like, well, she obviously found out where Bill Maybe lives. he didn't move. Yeah. Yeah. He's always lived here. Then it's fine. Yeah. This is in fact where the BB was yeah. um, conceived. And actually, well, yeah. And actually Bill probably hadn't moved. Like, I don't see why he would. He doesn't fear anybody. Yeah. So true. why would he move? He but, thinks she thinks she's dead or in a coma. Or... Didn't need that scene. Um, the scene that I'm so happy was in there um, was my favourite section of Volume Two, which is the training session with Jaime. It is gorgeous. The visual that, like the the bleached out, desaturated look with the grain, is gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely it's... gorgeous. And that's when the film actually comes alive for me. It does exactly. It suddenly. It suddenly gives something, add, adds something to the story. Yeah. It tells us how the bride is able to do all of this stuff. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is the guy who taught her. And oh my God, he's magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> he was just brilliant. They're so charismatic. I love the way he talks, the way he moves, the way he um, flicks his his goatee beard. Yeah. Gordon Liu, because he was one of the crazy 88s. Yeah, he was the head of the crazy 88. So great. And I love that at the end of volume two, when it's going through all the credits, he actually gets two credits that are separate from each other for the two different characters. Absolutely deserves it. That's the karate kid moment (laughs) for this for this franchise. It is. Yeah, I guess so. You know, she learns all this stuff like wax on, wax off, but just with a bit of wood that she's got to smash her fist through. Oh, the flaky hand. Oh, God, so gross. And then when but he obviously 
he's endeared to her because when when um she just is so desperate to eat but she can't hold her chopsticks well, she didn't swap hands she just decides to use her hands to yeah. eat um you really expect him to like cut her hand off or something <laughs> but he actually just gives her a fresh bowl and is like you'll eat like a human or something yeah um, you want to eat like a dog go outside yeah yeah but he's he's he is the epitome of you need to be cruel to be kind yeah exactly but he's so cruel yeah so cruel and when he jumps on the sword oh my <laughs> god just brilliant it's got that um it's that real woxier kind of thing you know, the giant the hong kong um oh it's complete hong kong cinema but it's like what's that film like the bride with the white hair that that really slightly off like almost spiritual but not um it's woxia it's it's heightened reality fighting and stuff it's so cool and that's what this scene does perfectly is it taps into that wuxia uh vibe i should watch more films like that they're crazy the bride with the white hair is crazy in the best way possible it's so much fun oh maybe i'll watch it tonight yeah i do it used like i saw nice a bit of friday night viewing actually although I... this goes out on the thursday so a bit of watch it fake tomorrow thursday night viewing it's like a great norton where they're always like <laughs> so it's out today no no it's out tomorrow <laughs> do you mean today <laughs> i did that bit out um how does Quentin Tarantino treat men in this film? Because a lot of we always talk about how he treats women, um, but we never we never really concentrate on how he actually views men. Um, oh, well, they're very much part of the uh, the body count situation. <laughs> <laughs> they just provide lots of bodies to get chopped up. But they, the, the, I mean, the main men like Bill. Yeah, Bill is so possessive he's jealous he's vengeful he's manipulative he's brutal he's mm. calm he's collected they are they're extreme aren't they they're all extreme Baku likes to fuck he's the absolute worst kind of man yes um in a different way to bill like bill is conniving and controlling but buck is kind of animalistic yeah um and what other men are in i mean there's the crazy- well, pie may yeah he's hates women mm. Yeah. Hates Caucasians. Charlie Brown. Hates American. Charlie Brown is henpecked. Yeah. Love, I love Charlie and then Brown. <laughs> Hattori Hanso is... Gay. Oh, yeah. Do you think he is? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Because they're bickering like the old couple and one of them says, I've been here for 30 years. Yeah, you maybe they are. You don't work for the same person for 30 years if you don't enjoy it. They were the epitome of a warring couple. They were like Charlie Brown and his wife, just... Charlie Browner. <laughs> that's not yeah. racist. No, no. <laughs> that's what she says, right? Yeah. They're very possessive. Mm. Buck seems to think he he owns the bride enough that he can sell her um, to the highest bidder. Mm. Padme at one point. Padme? Pime. Pime. Pime at one point says, Bill is your master, is he not? And the bride says, yes, he is. So... There's an idea that women are just possessions that mm. the men hold. Well, the men, yeah, the men view them as possessions, but the women act, the women are survivors. All of the women in this film are survivors. They've all had horrific things happen to them or they've done horrific things. They've done horrific things because, maybe because of the trauma. And a lot of the trauma is from men. Like It's um, all from men. Oranishi, like her yeah, yeah, parents her... were killed by that awful man. Yeah, yeah, Um Lucky for him, he was a pedophile. Yeah, that's such a great sequence. Yeah. And it's so ballsy just to chuck some manga in there. Just straight into manga. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. That might be one of his most ballsiest moves. He hasn't hasn't done anything as 
stylistically ballsy as Kill Bill since. Well, yeah, yeah, but just anything in Kill Bill, he hasn't that hasn't replicated in his his later films at all. I suppose that Kill Bill just lends itself to just stylistically bouncing off the walls, just doing whatever it wants to do to serve the story, like the whole black and white thing, which actually wasn't meant to be black and white. Was it not? I think it was a censorship thing where it was so gory. There was so much blood that it would have earned, you know, the top censorship rating. I've seen a trailer where the the blood is actually digitally colored black. Oh, they do that for trailers. Yeah. Yeah. But it just looks like she's been eating an octopus or something. (laughs) But, you know... um, What's it? Invention is the mother of all necessity or yeah. something. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So, boom, that, that black and white. It's not just black and white. It's gorgeous black and white. The highlights on the top of the head. Mm. It looks like this. And it looks like everyone's in. It looks like it looks like everyone's bathed in this angelic light. It's I fucking love it. It's yeah. just so gorgeous. And then it transitions from the black and white into that silhouette against a neon background, which yes. just flips it again. But he does that again in in two when uh Pai Mei and her are practicing mm. together in complete oh, yeah. unison that's the karate kid moment or is go, that the karate kid goes moment? a bit last airbender <laughs> oh yeah well the less said about that well. the better i think of actually i'll ask you which of the characters do you think apart from the bride which of the characters do you think quentin tarantino respects the most uh respects yeah Oh, well, Bill, maybe. Because he's treated with such reverence. I mean, Hattori Hanzo is also, is like his hero. Tarantino's a kid. Hattori Hanzo is his hero, right? I just feel Bud is the only one the bride can't kill. He is the only character that could have appeared in either Reservoir Dogs, Pop Fiction, or Jackie Brown, because he's so gritty and grounded mm. he's because this is a complete stylistic change well he's the he's the character who's in a very el paso-esque environment maybe they even are in el paso but el paso is where a lot of the cooking sauces <laughs> <laughs> it's a dummy your day isn't that a lot where a lot of like pulp fiction and reservoir dogs is that kind of california dust bowl area um no it's in yeah. la it's just la oh okay just generic 90s la uh, right. but the, the style change is, is, is in, insane. The first three are very realistic and gritty, and then this is very cartoony, and Bud seems to be the one that links the, yeah. the, 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 the two sides of that six-year break. There yeah. is a very distinct definition between pre-millennial uh, Quentin Tarantino and post-new millennia. It's, yeah, it's interesting going from bloody Reservoir Dogs, bloody Pulp Fiction, to then the more story character-driven Jackie Brown, which is more subdued as a Tarantino film. Yeah, to then possibly this, because it was it's based on. Right. The to book. then suddenly we get to Kill Bill and it's like... Yeah. It just goes mental. It's, it's Tarantino doing what Nolan does, what Kubrick did, Spielberg, I guess as well, is almost ticking off genres, going through genres yeah, and, he, so. and he does that more as we get later on into his films as well or just just finding his own way of doing things finding the groove that he's happy with mm. everyone looks at reservoir dogs and, and pop fiction and jackie brown and and you know from an outsider you might think oh he knows exactly what he's doing but since 
after that six year break, coming back with Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2, his films are more in line with Kill Bill than they are with the first three. Yeah. So maybe this is the filmmaker he always wanted to be. He just didn't know how to do that. Didn't have the tools. If yeah. he if he made Pulp Fiction now or or Reservoir Dogs or Jackie Brown, they would be very different movies. They would be very cartoony. The the tone would be very flippant. Mm. He does lean more towards flippancy than than realism. And also he dis- he's unearthing his brand of humor as well yes and that is never more apparent than in *Inglorious bastards which we'll get to in a couple of weeks but this kill bill is really funny like go home to your mother like yeah. spanking the kid with the sword <laughs> and um the the whole hattori hanso with this his is what you get when you play with a sword go home to your mother <laughs> it's really funny i think it yeah it, it's just such a confident comeback for him oh, oh uh, amazingly yeah i mean it's even though it is completely shallow, there is almost no depth here. Mm. It is so much fun. It has so much attitude, so much bite. It is so infectious. It is just amazingly enjoyable. It is de- it is sort of film that you can put on and it can be one of those background films. Mm. I don't think that's true of his first three. Yeah. Because they're so talky. This one, there are great stretches with no dialogue yeah the opening fight between the bride and uh, copperhead uh yeah vivica fox is that yeah. her name um that just no no talking which for a quentin tarantino film is almost unheard of yeah the the crazy 88 fight scene almost no talking mm-hmm. the orenishi scene at the end almost no talking there's so much no talking in these films it's all about atmosphere and crowd-pleasing stuff it's just so vibrant and alive and exciting the best bit of quentin tarantino really restraining himself is when the bride is trying to get hanzo to make the sword Mm. and she says you owe me in paraphrasing you owe me because the man i'm going for is one of your students and he Mm. just knows and he goes over to the window and he writes bill with the the dot the, the eye, com- yeah, the, dots the eye. Yeah, but it's it's such a powerful moment because a he doesn't allow the character to monologue and yep. have a flashback and do twenty minutes of why he feels yes you can go I will make this this sword and yes you can go and kill Bill. Hanzo is so ashamed of the fact that he trained Bill and now Bill has gone and done all his crimes. He can't even say his name out loud. Yeah. I think that he actually even improvised that moment. Oh, if, like, if it is, it's an amazing um, improvisation. But it's also great that Quentin Tarantino understood that hmm. and didn't say, you need to shoot my 20 pages of dialogue. Yeah, that's another great thing about the film is it's got such positive representation for Eastern culture. Mm. Not only... Is it? I mean, you could talk about appropriation. It's celebrating everything that is great about procreation. Appropriation. Oh, I think it's appropriation. So it's what Madonna gets accused of constantly. What procreation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the virgin birth. Um, uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. You know. These these are not um, fully realized characters, but they're definitely not caricatures. Yeah, it's re- even Charlie Brown, and it's reverent to the source, some materials that he's drawing from. Yes, and also a lot is talked about in terms of 
own voices and making sure that you're being um, respectful and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And with Kill Bill, half the the cast and crew are Japanese or in some way yeah. from the East. Um, it does everything right. Yes. You know, it's it's just so in love with that genre and, and that part of the world. Well, that passion shows through completely. Mm. Let's talk about the Quentin Tarantino grammar. Well, first of all, we've got some returning players. Oh, yeah, loads. We've got Uma Thurman. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Michael Madsen. Only in part two. Yeah. And Michael Madsen. Everyone else is seemingly brand spanking new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots of feet. Yeah, well, just Uma's feet. Uma's so feet. So there's some feet. Well, there's Arinishi's feet as well in the, her little socks. When she's running down the table. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah in her funny little socks. Yeah. Uh, black suits. Uh, black yes. tie, white shirts, a crazy 88 are all dressed like the Reservoir Dogs and uh, Jules and Vince. Yeah. Is there a boot shot? Boot. Trunk. Trunk of a car. Um, yeah, at the end when Sophie's in the, uh, in yeah. the boot and then um, the bride's saying, do you know why I've kept you alive? Um, the s- I mean, the whole thing is a, is a homage to 70s cinema. Mm. So you've got the 70s cinema idents. At the start with the Shaw Brothers. Oh, so cool. Feature presentation. The whole well, that was the start of his whole... That was the start of his whole Grindhouse thing. Yes. We kind of almost have Kill Bill to blame for the Grindhouse yes. double bill. Ooh, that we'll find out next week. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, crime. Some guns. There's a real lack of guns in this film. There's only one that I can think of. Oh, yeah. Well, there's one, the gun that shoots a bride. Yeah. And you get that amazing slow-mo close-up of the bullet coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's volume one. And then obviously in volume two, you've got Bucks. Shotgun. Yeah, salt, the salt His, thing. His um, buckshot. Yeah, yeah. Misplaced loyalty and then honour among thieves. Yeah. Obviously monologuing. A bit of monologuing. <laughs> Just a little bit. That yeah. one, that, that chapter, long... Chapter headings. Yeah, chapters. Um, in fact, that's the first time that he did actually called them chapters. Yeah. Everything else had just a title card. Mm. Um, long one take shot. So the, the, the long shot in the restaurant going from Orenishi's room down to the toilet where Sophie was back up mm. past the, the five, six, seven, so eight. So great. And he goes hands. up over the bathroom wall yes. to peer down. And then they play around with, with uh, a see-through. Oh, it's so great. Uh, sort of partition. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. There's, al- there's also like this weird repeated visual thing that he does where he pans down to floor level and you discover somebody hiding underneath there's the bed in the first one with Orenishi. There's the bride hunt hiding under Buck's trailer. Yeah. Um, and there's another one. There's a third one. I can't remember what it is now. Are you but thinking of repeated... Inglourious Bastards? There is one in Inglourious Bastards yeah, yeah. as well, yeah. It's like a weird little visual metaphor, I suppose, of like hiding underground to spring up like a snake, aren't they? Is that a metaphor or is that actual? Well, yeah, it's that as well. It's an actual <laughs> it's metaphor. It's a literal metaphor. It's a literal me- Literally. 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 The music. Holy shit. Not only music, but actual sound effects taken from things like Ironside. Yes. And random, random stuff. I want this to happen every time I open the front door. <laughs> uh, hi, Morrisons. Just put the vegan stuff over there, please. <laughs> bang, bangs, Nancy Snatch, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the pod. Brilliant. Twisted Nerve. Which one's that? <whistles> oh, yeah. 
That was everywhere. So good. Fucking everywhere. Yeah. In fact, Bang Bang, there was a club version of it out yeah. around the time. Down, 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 yeah, down, that's down, it. down, down, <laughs> down, 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 down. Stop saying bum. Bum. The Lonely Shepherd is another gorgeous one. I listen to that quite often. Oh, it's so beautiful. This is when she's on the plane. They play it all the way through. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's like being in the spa. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I like a oh, facial, please. Dear, lovely massage. <laughs> oh, can you just do my legs, please, Sandra? <laughs> Sandra? <laughs> Will you? It's just... La, la, la. My favourite one is this one. It's 11 minutes long. I was literally about to talk about this one. You get 30 seconds of it. This is my favourite song in the film. Me too. I, it's my gym song. It's I'm on the so treadmill, good. I put this on and I'm away. It's a perfect treadmill length. I love it. 10 minutes, get off. I mean, I love the song anyway, but I love the original by the animals. But this is my favourite version of the song. It's so great. And it's all kind of Spanish, it's, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's completely Spanish. Yeah. It's like Shingon, which is the band that um, Robert Rodriguez is in. I don't think the accident thesis works in this film. The accident thesis, you said that everything in the Quentin Tarantino movie is because of an accident. Mm. Because there's no accident in pointing the gun. Maybe maybe Bill's gun went off by accident. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't mean to shoot her. The kid's yours. Oh, fuck. Shit. I was going to get that gun looked at. (laughs) Fucking hell. So that was Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up next week. Um, there is a link between this one and the next film, but I'll tell you what it is in the next episode. Is it the fact that it's directed by Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> no. No? Okay. Uh, don't miss that episode. Go and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and tune in so you don't miss that episode. And if you love kittens... Come over to at Torn Stubbs Pod. We now have our very own Torn Stubbs kitten. Called Pennywise. Who watches films with us. Yes. Uh, Pennywise. She was called Penny. We just discovered she's a boy. So we're going to have to change it. Suggestions welcome. It. It. (laughs) It. You know, gender non-binary cats are people too. (laughs) That's what I said to the vet. I was like, oh, my little trans kitty. (laughs) She was like, you can't. Trans cat. Yeah. Trans cat. Trans cat. If you like middle-aged hipsters talking about music, go and check out Track by Track, the Trash Music Podcast in all your usual podcatcher locations. We're off to wiggle our big toe. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut!